If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on? Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Coffee in California Politics. This is going to be a jam-packed show. There's so much to talk about, uh, so much that I've been researching and stuff that I hope I can get to while also leaving enough time for people to do their comments and questions and stuff like that because that's part of Coffee in California Politics is going live and um, hearing what you guys want to say. This is the space where you come and you can chat and do all that stuff. Um, Also, uh, I'll be joined again by my adorable co-host, Winnie. So if you hear snoring in the background or any sort of barking, that's her. She's been a little sassy this morning. I don't know why. Uh, She's been particularly sassy. She hears something and she just feels like she has to run to the door and bark at everything this morning. So just warning you right now, if you hear the snoring and you go, what's that noise in the background? That would be her. She's snoring. Um, So yeah, first off, I mean, big news that the draft opinion was released uh, from the Supreme Court. That's a whole other issue of what is going on. I mean, the, the, this is something that has been entrusted. This is something that this is the reason why the Supreme Court keeps it secret. I mean, this is exactly the reason why the Supreme Court keeps this secret is because they don't want any sort of repercussions or they don't want people to be protesting. The idea is that they have to make these decisions based on the law and the facts, and it shouldn't be external issues or political issues on the outside. And now that's what it's become. It's become an absolute political firebomb in today's uh, discussion. And, you know, it's, it's completely flipped a lot of things on its head. Uh, I think people already kind of were expecting that it was going to go this way. And this case that was making its way up through the appeals and then when it was taken up by the Supreme Court, people had already believed that it was going to be overturned and it would be overturned in June. And if you saw my video yesterday where I talked about, yeah, this is why they do it in June. They release the decision. It's it. It's final. That's it. Everyone signed off on it. And there's no going back. And it's not this idea of, well, we're going to put a draft opinion out and see what people think because that's all these external factors. And that's one thing about the Supreme Court that gives it its own sort of uh, its own authority in the part of separation of powers. Because remember, there are three branches of government. There's the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. And the Supreme Court is its own branch. It shouldn't be treated as a play toy or a safety valve for legislators or the executive branch that if they want to get things done, they can just kind of sort of get things done through the Supreme court. Um, but there is a lot to get to here. We're going to talk about basically the decision itself, what Ruth Gator, Ruth Bader, the notorious RBG, what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said about it a long time ago. Um, how she wasn't a fan of Roe v. Wade. And there's a reason why she wasn't a fan of it. It's not like she wasn't a fan of it because she wasn't a fan of abortions. Um, I don't think anyone should really be. I mean, there are, you can see the protesters. There might be people who are fans of abortions, Um, but I think she was kind of uh, judicially. She was not happy with the decision. There's a reason why we'll get into that in a little bit. And then we're going to talk about California. Does it affect California? Spoiler alert. No, it doesn't. So that's a good point to start off with right now. While Roe v. Wade being overturned has implications, it doesn't have the implications it would have had 30 or 40 years ago, right? This decision came down in the 1970s when abortion was still not societally accepted. It wasn't accepted across the country. 
as something that people could do or that people were sort of liberalized on. Um, and a lot of states, even California for a long time, I know this is hard to believe, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. California for a long time was actually criminalized abortion and it, it made it hard to get an abortion in California. Now that all changed around the sixties and seventies, but there were a lot of States that prohibited abortion. They criminalized it. Um, and that's sort of where Roe v. Wade came from is that there were penal codes that if you got an abortion, uh, you could be, you could go to jail. Um, that has mostly gone away within today's society. Now there are States like Texas and Florida that have, sort of been a little bit more proactive and saying what is and what is not allowed, but they are still allowing abortion up to a certain amount of weeks, which means that it's just past a certain amount of weeks. And there's other states like Virginia or what was at least Governor Northam back then was trying to do was to, and they're trying to do it here in California with AB 223, is basically legalize abortion all the way up until birth, which is infanticide, in my opinion, that if the baby is born, it's out of the womb. There's no more discussion of abortion. It's now murder. Uh, and that's just my personal opinion. But I don't I, I I'm hard pressed to find anyone who if there's no issue with the mother's health, health or anything like that to decide after the fact that you don't want this baby anymore. Uh, I think if it's born, it's 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 murder at that point. It's infanticide. Um, but here's what would happen, right? And the left is going to push this and they're going to push this narrative that they're going to take away your abortion rights and that they're going to take away your ability to get an abortion just by overturning Roe v. Wade. That's not what is happening here. Okay. What it means is that at the time Roe v. Wade was decided, a lot of states were criminalizing abortion. However, this is where Ruth Bader Ginsburg comes in, and she had said that it was starting to turn. But first, let's jump into what the draft opinion says. Now, this is the draft opinion, so it's not overturned. And I know there's a lot of people, there's a lot of influencers who are celebrating, who are pretending like it's already done, it's a done deal. It's still a while. These decisions don't come out until June. But if the decision, I believe, is done and it's already figured out and they can kind of really go around the room and say, like, does anybody change in their decision? Might not be a bad idea for the Supreme Court to release the final decision and and be done with it um, because it's only going to get worse. And if you let this draw out any longer, it's going to get a lot worse. So I think, um, I, th I think at this point they should probably just figure it out and get it over with if they're going to go in this direction. So from the draft opinion, this is what Justice Ali Alito wrote. Rose, uh, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision had been damaging consequence. And far from bringing about a national settlement on the of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. The permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved like most important questions in our democracy by citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. Um, that is what the Constitution is. That is what the Constitution and the rule of law demand. Now, Justice Alito shock, is actually echoing the sentiment of his late colleague, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
And Ruth gave, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, um, and this is from American Magazine, in her speech, Ginsburg contrasted the court's treatment of abortion rights with its treatment of gender classification, which the justices extend benefits and require legislative reexamination of one's customary sex-based classification. Um, Roe v. Wade invited no dialogue with legislators, Ginsburg wrote. Instead, it seemed entirely to remove the ball from legislators' court. So, why are those two kind of statements connected? Well, because the issue with Roe was this is probably one of the biggest examples if you study law in terms of what is activist, what an activist judge would do. An activist judge is someone who looks at the Constitution and creates these rights and kind of creates law or what they say is legislating from the bench effectively and creating this new right, which then legalizes something that was not there before. And these two kind of statements, you have Ginsburg and you have Alito now, Alito basically saying the same thing, which is this decision should not have stood because we are, as a court, taking away the authority of the legislatures. Now, if states want to enact legislation, that's up to their elected representatives. Here in California, we have a lot of Democrats. We have the Democratic supermajority who are want to expand, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, who want to expand and protect the right for a woman to get an abortion. Then you have states like Texas that don't believe you should have unfettered access to abortion or Florida for that matter. And there's a lot of other conservative red states, but Texas and Florida are always the biggest ones. And that was their argument is that it went too far because the Supreme Court basically stepped in and became a legislature or a legislator, which is not the point of the Constitution. That's not the point of the Supreme Court is to create law or create or legalize something through Supreme Court opinions. The idea was that they have to go to your state legislatures. Your state legislators will decide on that point whether they want to do one thing or the other. And if you're not fond of that, there's always the freedom of choice that you can move to another state or you can go to another state that has laws that in representatives that agree with you. That's the point of this representative republic is that if you don't like the way things are, you have to get new people into power. Um, and you have to get new elected representatives. I mean, that's what we talk about here on this show all the time is if we don't like what's going on in California and believe me, there's a lot to talk about that is wrong with California. We always talk about, well, how do we get new representatives who represent our values into the state legislature? That's what it comes down to. If you don't like it, there's the ballot box. That's your way of changing things. Um, but these, these two this has sort of been the prevailing feeling about Roe kind of from both sides and especially Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, you know, a lot of people have their opinions about her. She was a smart jurist and there's some stuff that she saw that she was like, nah, I, I think we kind of went a little too far in this one direction. Um, and I would agree with her. And I think it doesn't change as much as people are going to scream and yell and throw temper tantrums about, regarding what happens if Roe v. Wade is overturned. These protesters are going to say, well, it takes away my right to abortion. Well, what state do you live in? That should always be the first question that you ask any of these protesters. Well, where are you coming from and what state do you live in? And if someone says, well, I'm from California, and I'm, then you can say, well, do you know that California actually has some of the most uh, 
I, I don't know, I wouldn't say restrictive, but the most open and accepting laws when it comes to abortion, well, then it's nothing's going to affect you. You're still going to have that access. And in fact, uh, Noodles has already said that he's going to try and expand that and make it even better. Uh, not better, I guess in his words, he thinks it's going to be better. He wants to make it more accessible for people even out of state. He wants to defray costs with taxpayer money to allow people to fly and travel to the state to get abortions. So there are some states that are basically taking one complete polar position, and there's some that are taking a complete opposite polar position. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the mis- this this confusion is, is that Roe v. Wade being overturned is not going to all of a sudden make abortion illegal overnight. It will give states the power to determine that. And it may put more focus on what's going on in your state legislators, uh, legislatures to figure out what is going on and to get people in who you either support or you don't support their values. And that's basically what's going to happen. Um, so if there's any conservative influencers out there stuff are like, oh, Roe v. Wade is now going to like outlaw abortion. That's not true. It's not going to outlaw abortion. Abortion will still be allowed in a lot of states. There's already a map that basically says, where can you get an abortion? Is it restrictive? Is it supportive? Um, and you can already find basically whatever state you want to get to if the need comes to it. And if you want a free trip to California, I guess that's going to be Noodle's new proposal is that you can get a free trip on our taxpayer money to come to California. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the actual, the, the original decision. Cause I want to talk a little bit about, um, I'd highlighted some things about it that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, and stuff that if Roe is overturned, I will be interested to see how these arguments are continued. Uh, let's see. I got to go all the way back to the top because it's silly me. I didn't just bookmark where I wanted to start. That's where I should have done. Um, so Roe v. Wade came out of Texas, uh, in the statute basically said that a woman could not get an abortion, um, without being criminally charged, um, in certain instances. And the court says the principal thrust of appellant's attack on the Texas statutes is that improperly invade a right said to be possessed by a pregnant woman to choose to terminate her pregnancy. Appellant would discover this right in the con- concept of personal liberty embodied in the 14th Amendment's due process clause, or in personal marital family and sexual privacy said to be protected by the Bill of Rights or its penumbrums, um, or among those rights reserved to the people by the Ninth Amendment. Um, if you don't know what the Ninth Amendment is, basically the Ninth Amendment is anything that's not really said in the Constitution is also reserved for the people. Um I think there's someone who said, like, I think I follow them, something about they always push about the Ninth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment is for if you anything not stated in the Constitution goes back to the states and allows them, which is basically the argument here. Through the Tenth Amendment, if the federal court and the Constitution don't, and if federal government and the Constitution don't say anything about it, then guess what? It goes to the states, and the states get to figure out what they want to do with it. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 there's a lot, of, a lot of talk, and I want to kind of get through it. Um, the constitution does not explicitly mention any right of privacy in aligned decisions. However, going back perhaps as far as union Pacific v. Botsford, the court has recognized that a right of personal privacy or a guarantee of certain areas or zones of privacy does exist under the constitution. 
In varying contexts, the court or individual justices have indeed found at least the roots of that right in the First Amendment, in the penumbrums and the concept of liberties, uh, blah, blah, blah. These decisions make it clear that only personal rights that can be deemed fundamental or implicit in the concept of ordered liberty are included in this guarantee of personal privacy. This right of privacy, whether it be founded in the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty and restrictions upon state action, as we feel it is, or the district court determined in the Ninth Amendment's reservation of rights to the people, is broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. The detriment that the state would impose upon the pregnant woman by denying this choice altogether is apparent. Specific and direct harm, medically diagnosable, even in early pregnancy, may be evolved. Uh, let's see. The court's decisions recognizing a right to privacy also acknowledge that some state regulation areas protected by that right is appropriate. As noted, a state may properly assert important interests in safeguarding health and maintaining medical standards and protecting potential life. At some point in pregnancy, these respective interests become sufficiently compelling to sustain regulation of the factors that govern the abortion decision. The privacy right involved, therefore, cannot be said to be absolute. In fact, it is not clear to us that the claim asserted by the summit Amici, Amici is basically like friends of the court. So when there's a Supreme Court case, there's people who file what they call Amici, 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 why am I getting this? Amici Curiae briefs um, that are friends of the court. Basically, you're not involved in the party or in the litigation, but you file these briefs to kind of let the court know your stance on it. So you can kind of like say, like, hey, judge, like, it's kind of, a, you know, you, the more you think about it, you're like, it's kind of a weird thing that they allow that. But it, you could be a not party. You can be a not party, but interested in the case. And you can file this Amici Curiae a brief and basically tell them like, hey, this is what we found. Here's our research. Helps the justices along a little bit. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But um, you'll see a lot of nonprofits who like to raise money to file Amici Curiae briefs on one thing or another. Um, uh, some of each that one has an unlimited right to do with one's body as one pleases bears a close relationship to the right of privacy previously articulated in the court's decision. The court has refused to recognize an unlimited right of this kind in the past. Jacobson v. Massachusetts. Now, if you don't know, remember, remember Jacobson v. Massachusetts, it should be familiar because it was the legal authority that the federal government gave to itself and all the states gave to themselves to force vaccine mandates and stuff like that. Even though Jacobson doesn't go as far to say you can unfetteredly just require everyone to get a vaccine. Um, it's a very narrow reading of Jacobson. I'm sorry if I'm getting a little wonky, but the point of this is, is that I want you to be informed about what's going on. It, 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 there's a lot of noise that's going on out there. And it's always my goal to kind of like break through the noise so that you can sit down and go, Here's what I know, and this is what I, 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 so that you can make more of a rational argument or discussion about it, rather than just whatever the red meat from both sides is. We therefore conclude that the right of personal privacy includes the abortion decision, but that this right is not unqualified must be considered against important state interests and regulations. Keep talking about that. Um where certain fundamental rights are involved, the court has held that regulation limits rights may be justified only by a compelling state interest. So again, if we're going to talk about like if we're if you're seeing a little like kind of on the margins here, it's talking about fundamental rights, rights to privacy, right to do with your body what you want. Um, kind of sounds like vaccine mandates, right? Like there is some like there there are these fundamental rights, and there has to be a compelling state interest. 
Um, that's stuff that's been argued in a lot of these lawsuits against vaccine mandates for the past couple of years. So it's not shocking that this is what the court has kind of held. Uh, there is a part I want to get to. Uh, as we've intimated above, it is reasonable and appropriate for a state to decide that at some point in time, another interest, that of health of the mother or that of potential human life becomes significantly involved. So this is important because Roe v. Wade does not just give a blanket legalization or carte blanche for unfettered abortions in the United States. This is important to kind of point out that Roe v. Wade, even if it's overturned, this is still really the feeling of the Supreme Court. Um, and this has sort of been held up in other cases uh, where at a certain point you can't, you, you know, you can't have an abortion. Like we were talking at the top, at the top of the show, if you're going to have a baby all the way to turn and, and have the baby, abortion is no longer an option. And that should be something that, see, told you, Winnie gets really upset about infanticide. Um, but that's something that state regulation can come in. So for all those advocates who want to keep Roe not overturn and keep it as law, then they should know that Roe actually says that there has to be state regulation at some point when it comes to an abortion because there is, at some point, another human life that we're talking about. Um, let's see. The woman's privacy is no longer sole, and any right of privacy she possesses must be measured accordingly. Um, Texas urges that apart from the 14th Amendment, life begins at conception is present throughout pregnancy, and that, therefore, the state has a compelling interest in protecting that life from and after conception. Um, and they don't want to really talk about that. They go into, like, sort of the different standards what the catholic church thinks and all these different state um but we repeat however that the state does have an important and legitimate interest in preserving and protecting the health of a pregnant woman whether she is a resident of state or a non-resident who seeks medical consultation treatment and that is still another important and legitimate interest in protecting the potentiality of human life these interests are separate and distinct each grows in substantiality as the woman approaches term and at a point during pregnancy, each becomes compelling. So, again, for all those people who probably have never read Roe v. Wade, anybody who's for keeping Roe v. Wade, you can say, okay, well, did you know Roe also says that at a certain point that abortion can be regulated because they even say that at a certain point there is a human life that they have to protect that's a that's a good argument you can make back to someone is that Roe does not guarantee unfettered abortion up until after birth. So little tidbit for you for anybody who wants to go out there and have discussions, have healthy discussions with those on the left who want Roe to stay in place. Um, you can basically say, well, the Supreme Court also believed that there's some regulation that at a certain point it's human life in there and that you can't just have a baby and then abort it. Um, let's see. I think that was basically all I wanted to talk about when it comes to Roe. You can go read it. I mean, it's out there. It's, um, I think it's pretty interesting. I'm also an, a law nerd. So, um, I think, uh, I think this stuff is fun to do. And if you guys are getting a kick out of it, let me know in the comments, whether you find this really interesting or not. Um, you can't have a healthy discussion with the left. Um, there's some people who I think are 
who might want to discuss. You might be some people you know who are for Roe not being overturned. Um, and that's something you can say to them is that in the in the opinion, the Supreme Court supported that it, there should be state regulation at some point because there is a human life in there. So let me take a sip of coffee. Nothing fancy today. I went with uh, Trader Joe's medium roast. So we were out of coffee, so we had to go get Trader Joe's, which is not bad. I actually I actually enjoy Trader Joe's coffee. A lot of people actually really enjoy Trader Joe's coffee. I see people selling it out a lot. Um, although I've seen that they took away the the grinder. So ever since COVID, they've taken away the grinder. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if they're ever going to bring that back. That's a complete tangent. But have you ever noticed there's a lot of things that like people have taken away because of COVID and they just haven't brought it back just because of COVID or maybe they just thought it was a good idea never to bring it back. I always find that interesting to point that stuff out. Um, let's see. Where did I want to go from here? Uh, oh, the one thing I want to talk about and thank you to everybody who is purchasing the noodle shirt. That's the pinned product today is the noodle shirt, uh, especially because he wants to make this the abortion sanctuary state of the United States see how that plays out in the presidential primaries uh, in the Midwest, like Iowa, go ahead, go to Iowa and tell them you basically allowed abortion up until birth. Go have fun with that. Um, But he'll still try anyway. Uh, Let's see. A lot of people are arguing that there is a danger to the fact that they're overturning Roe v. Wade. Um. Because they believe in this thing called stare decisis. Stare decisis is a Latin term for basically let the thing stand, let the decision stand. Meaning that laws, when common law is created, so a decision comes down and it's usually later courts or later judges on those courts look back to those cases and say, well, this is an issue of stare decisis, we're going to listen to what the previous said, um, and we're going to follow it, and we're not going to overturn it. That's not always the case. So for a lot of people saying, well, this is a breach of trust, and the Supreme Court should never overturn stuff, and you know what's been said and what's been decided, what about stare decisis and all this? And, and see, even Winnie is really upset about stare decisis. Um, People are saying, what about stare decisis? And, and they, they're, they're not upholding these court decisions. Not all court decisions should be upheld. And there are a lot of bad decisions that probably should be overturned. I kind of put it in my stories this morning. There are some that I think should absolutely be overturned. One is uh, the Chevron case, and it's called Chevron deference. That's a whole different thing. That's really, really, really wonky. Um, so... I don't, I don't want to get into that here, what Chevron deference is. I'll boil it down real quick, which is basically Chevron deference is when they allow the legislatures or like Congress to write a law that basically defers all of the power to these alphabet agencies, and they don't really have to do anything. If that gets struck down, that's a big deal. We can talk about that another time. Um, Chevron is one. Wicker is another one. Wicker is basically the aggregate in the economy theory, which is if you can aggregate someone doing something on a larger scale, you can infer that it's going to affect interstate commerce and interstate commerce is regulated by the federal government. So basically it gives the federal government the power to regulate 
anything. And the case was kind of silly. It was like a guy growing plants in his like some produce in his backyard, which was illegal. And he said, well, I'm not hurting. I'm just like growing it for myself. And the court said, well, if we aggregate that you and your neighbor and other people's do the same thing, then we can regulate interstate commerce. It's crazy. But Wicker is another one. Another one that was never overturned by the Supreme Court, which should have been, and if you ask anybody who's like a legal scholar, one of the biggest black marks on the Supreme Court history, is this decision of Dred Scott. And if you've ever heard of it, Dred Scott was a decision from the Supreme Court, 7-2, where a former slave, um, name was Dred Scott, and his wife had sued the federal government for being free, for their freedom, because... They said, look, we're in these free states. I think he was in Illinois at the time, which was a free state. And the law was that if you're in these free states for an extended period of time, you're determined to be a freed slave. So he had sued for his freedom. Um, The federal court didn't agree with him, went up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court basically said, we don't agree with you. You don't have rights um, as, you know, they call them all things that are not politically correct to say now. Um, It was one of the black marks on the Supreme Court history. So Dred Scott was an awful, awful case because at the time they said, well, you know, slavery and we didn't want to stoke any sort of issue with slavery. And there was a lot of issues with politics back then. The the Civil War was kind of really close to happening. It was really bubbling up at that point. Um, But an awful case, a really, really awful case, a really awfully racist case in terms of they didn't follow the law. They basically just looked at this man and said, well, no, you're you're black and you're in this United States and therefore you don't have rights and you're a slave. Awful, awful case. It was never overturned. Supreme Court never overturned that case. It was only ever done away with because of the establishment or the passage of the 13th Amendment, which outlawed slavery. So that case was never overturned. So are you going to make the argument that all cases by the Supreme Court should never be overturned? Because if there was no passage of the 13th Amendment, hypothetically, um, would you overturn Dred Scott? You would absolutely have to overturn Dred Scott because it's an awful, awful decision. Uh, Another one that nobody ever really seems to talk about when they talk about Supreme Court oopsies uh, that has still to this day is still actually considered good law because it has not been overturned in the Supreme Court, is a case called Korematsu. Korematsu is a case that upheld the U.S. government's right to imprison Japanese civilians into internment camps during World War II. That is still good law. Crazy enough, right? That is still good law. So technically, there is still Supreme Court decision, which allows for the internment of American citizens still has not been overturned. And I would argue with some, do you think that should be on, that should remain as a case in the Supreme court, just because you believe in this idea of stare decisis? I would say no, but this idea that Supreme court cases are never overturned or never should be overturned to me is one of the, more naive or, um, I guess, dubious arguments to say that, oh, Roe should not be overturned because cases are never overturned in the Supreme Court. That's not the case. They're overturned. They're struck down. A lot of things have changed. There are bad cases that should be absolutely overturned. 
Um, they're not infallible. The Supreme Court justices are they're smart people. I'm not going to lie. They're all very smart people. But they're also infallible, and they make decisions, and they make decisions based on not only what's going on in the world at that time. 20 years down the road, it may make a difference. Look at us now. We're talking about Roe v. Wade, which was passed in 1973, and how the country has changed now from what when Roe was passed. So I don't believe this argument that Supreme Court cases should never, ever be overturned. They should never be reconsidered, that this idea of stare decisis that well it's already been stu- it's it's already there um and therefore we 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 can't really uh we can't disturb it we have to leave it as is but even Ruth Bader Ginsburg stated that this was in her mind a bad decision so if Ruth Bader Ginsburg who was one of the champions of the left thought that it went too far and it was a bad decision What does that tell you? It tells you that maybe it was a bad decision. Maybe the rationale and maybe Alito in what he is saying is correct, that it was faulty reasoning and that it was back at that time really judicial overreach when it should have been judicial restraint. And it it could be just viewed by a lot of scholars and maybe people who are more right-leaning on the court. And I say right-leaning, I don't mean like Republican because that always sort of gets like tripped up when it comes to like the Supreme court justices. People think like there's red and blue on the Supreme court. Not really. You'll see like justices break one way or the other. You saw like justice Scalia was notorious for like upholding uh, the rights of people who were convicted of crimes. Um, He was a big believer in like the fourth amendment. And a lot of like conservatives probably would be more harsh, but anyway, getting off on a tangent. So, where was I going with that? I completely forgot now. I was talking about Justice Scalia. Great justice, anyway. One of the best. Um, yeah, so it was bad decision back then. It was bad Supreme Court decision back then. Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought it was a bad decision. It should be returned to the states. And it should be returned to the states because at this point... Oh, who's snoring? That is, uh, that's my French bulldog, Winnie. She's in the room with me today. So if you hear the snoring, it's my French bulldog, Winnie. So um, she's really out now. When she snores like that, it means she's really asleep. Um, she also, I think she has allergies or something, so that's making it a lot worse. Um, but anyway, so I think... If anything else, it's not going to have a big repercussion on the rest of the country... It's not going to change if you're a dyed-in-the-wool, deep blue, um, blue-haired checkmark, whatever, in San Francisco. Nothing's going to change for you. Like Chesa Bodine, hopefully soon to be recalled district attorney of San Francisco, um, wasn't Korematsu using the Trump travel ban case? I don't know. That's actually a good question. It, maybe someone did use Korematsu. It's still good law, so maybe someone did. Um, now, I, I keep losing my place. Anyway, like Chesa Bodine, soon to be recalled district attorney of San Francisco, tweeted something. Let me pull it up right here. I have said it before, and I will say it again. Under my watch, no person will ever be prosecuted for making decisions about their reproductive health. I will continue to fight to protect the rights of women and all people to control their bodies and their choices. Uh, well, first off, Mr. Bodine, 
you're the district attorney in San Francisco, okay, in California, a very, very blue state that protects the right, the abortion rights of all women, um, and is very, very laxed on a lot of abortion laws. So for him to say, like, I'm not going to prosecute anyone, this is sort of the grandstanding and the gaslighting that's going to happen on the left, especially with the midterms coming up. This is going to become the thing that they're going to talk about is that if Roe v. Wade is actually overturned, they're going to talk about this and they're going to say the Republicans are coming after your rights. Um, this doesn't change anything. I mean, this is a the perfect example of grandstanding and a straw man. Nobody in San Francisco is going to try and pass any legislation that would criminalize abortion. I mean, if that happened, I would pinch myself and say, did I fall into a sleep? Am I dreaming? What is going on here? That would be absolutely ludicrous. Um, but they're going to use it and they're going to grandstand. And Chess Boudin is definitely uh, probably one of the dumbest things that he's ever said, because nobody's why would he be prosecuting anyone anyway? There is no law on the books in San Francisco. There's no law in California that criminalizes abortion. Um, but let's see. I want to talk a little bit about abortion in California, and then I'll get to your, your questions and comments. I want to finish this up real quick because um, there is a lot to cover, and I want to do get your opinions and your comments and all that. So um, there's this great article from Cal Matters, uh, and it talks about the title is how California created the nation's easiest abortion access and why it's poised to go further. Uh, California lawmakers intend to buck the trend. Democrat governor Gavin Newsom aims to make the state a sanctuary for out of state abortion seekers, even proposing to use state funds to defray their travel costs. He's already signed into law, a measure eliminating out of pocket costs for Californians. The state legislative women's caucus has also introduced 13 bill package to further cut barriers to access and protect patient and provider rights, and many of those advancing through the legislature. Let's see. Um, this is actually a really interesting article because I, there's a lot of stuff I didn't even know about this. Um, in the decades before California decriminalized abortion began loosening restrictions, public opinion on the issue began to sway, driven largely by the World War Thalidomide. If I said that wrong, I apologize. And the U.S. rebella epidemic. Uh, let's see. And they talk about how a lot of people are going south to Mexico. Uh, here's the timeline. In 1850, there was a Crimes and Punishment Act, which prohibits abortion except when necessary to save a woman's life. 1850. Um, abortion is not a new thing either. Abortion has been going on since like the Roman periods and the Greek periods. Like abortion has been a medical procedure. I guess I don't know if you call medical medical back then in, in ancient Greece. Um but it's been around for a long time. It's not like it just popped up in the 60s and 70s. Uh, 1959, uh, People v. Ballard, which is a California case, establishes that threat to a woman's life need not be imminent or certain. Um, so that basically gave an exception to the Crimes and Punishments Act. Um, People v. Buffum allowed steerers, steerers to help women plan and seek abortions in Mexico. Uh, first bill in 1961 introduced legalizing abortion actually died in committee. I know you're shocked. You're like, wait, what? An abortion, a, a bill to legalize abortion in California died in committee. Yeah, it did. Uh, San Francisco nine state medical examiners board threatens medical licenses of nine doctors for performing abortions on women infected with rubella. 
1967, California Therapeutic Abortion Act legalizes abortion to protect the physical and mental health of a woman in the case of rape or incest. 1969, People v. Bellowis. The state constitutional right to an abortion is upheld for the first time in California. Um, so that was a big case, 1969. Uh, Roe v. Wade, 1973. 1981, medical, cow, medical coverage reinstated. Um, 1987, parental consent is no longer required. Uh, or, sorry, 1987, parental consent is required. 1997, it was overturned that you no longer need parental consent. Um, 2000, FDA approves a first abortion pill. Uh, 2003, Reproductive Privacy Act establishes the right to seek an abortion for any reason prior to fetal viability and allows mid-level clinicians to provide abortion pills. Uh, did, did it, let's see, 2018, Governor Jerry Brown vetoes University Abortion Act. Brown vetoes a law requiring public universities to provide abortion pills. That's pretty surprising for Governor Moonbeam. Um, he, did, he, you know, he was pretty moderate on, on some things. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court blocks California law in 2018. A first U.S. Supreme Court rebukes state on abortion, rejecting its rule that faith-based crisis pregnancy centers provide abortion info. That was a big one. Um, and then 2019 College Student Right to Access Act. Governor Gavin Newsom signs the reintroduced bill requiring public universities to provide abortion pills at no cost. Uh, in California, when is a fetus considered viable? It's up to a physician's good faith medical judgment. In practicality, most doctors consider a fetus viable at 24 weeks or once a fetus weighs 500 grams. Okay. Uh, can someone refuse to provide an abortion? Yes, individual medical professionals can, but someone seeking abortion may request another provider. Um, only religious and nonprofit hospitals and clinics can have blanket bans. Um, do, 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 do U.S. abortion rates continue to fall even though California continues to rise? Hmm. Also, they stopped providing data to the CDC in 1998. Oh, okay. Interesting. I want to keep going and keep going. I, I would recommend I'll put this in the show notes, but this is a really good article if you want to check it out. Who pays for California abortions? Starting in 2023 in California, all abortion-related services, including consultations and follow-up care, will be free. A new law prohibits insurance companies from imposing deductibles, co-payments, or other cost-sharing upon an individual seeking an abortion. The California Health Benefits Review Program estimates that the current average out-of-cost pocket is 306 for a medication abortion and 887 for a procedural abortion. Under state law, abortion and related services are considered basic health care and must be covered by all insurance providers with the exception of self-funded insurance. So I guess if you don't want uh, your insurance dollars going to uh, fund abortion care, um, you can always do self-funded abortion. I think self-funded is like the crowdsourcing insurance. California and New York are the only two states to require private insurance to cover abortion. Actually, I think there are those like self-funding ones that are like, there's there's a couple that are like Christian and stuff like that, that um, everyone just kind of pools their money. I think that's what they do. Anyway, do, 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 do. I think that's basically all I want to talk about. There is a lot here, and it's interesting to see all of the data when it comes to abortion in California. So anyway, all right, we got about 15 minutes left. There was a lot to cover. I do want to give you guys a chance to submit your comments and questions. As always, while I take a sip of my coffee, because I had been rambling for 45 minutes now. And Winnie is snoring away. Um, <clears throat> someone had asked before, do I think that uh, Noodles actually has a chance 
to become president? Uh, no, I don't think he has a chance to become president, but I do think he's going to try and run. Why? Because it's the next brass ring for him to uh, try and get. He's always focused on what's the next thing he has to go get. Um, you know, when he was supervisor, he wanted to be mayor. When he was mayor, he wanted to be governor. He didn't get to be um, mayor or he didn't get to be governor on his first try. He had to be he had to sell for lieutenant governor, which is basically I mean, he didn't really do anything. If you go back and you look like he didn't really do a lot as lieutenant governor. In fact, they actually called him out and said, like, he didn't do as much as he was supposed to. Um, but he was sort of the heir apparent anyway. Do I think this will affect the midterms? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's going to, you know, it is happening pretty early and they're going to run the air out of it pretty quickly. In terms of you can rail on this for a while. Sometimes things when they happen too early uh, is a bad thing for your your side. Meaning if it happens now at the beginning of May, uh, you can run out of steam with something by November. And a lot can happen by November, right? Like November is a real in political terms, November is basically so far away. Like we haven't even finished primaries yet. Um, I did see that the Trump backed Ohio Senate candidate, uh, J.D. Vance, did win the primary. So he'll be going into the general election uh, to win that Senate seat. We still have primaries coming up here on June 7th in California. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled for that. Probably going to have to do a whole breakdown of that this month at some point. And, um, do I think it, it, it could affect a little bit? I think it could affect because they may say like the one thing they may say and their argument to keep the house and to keep the Senate is that you have to keep us because we are going to draft legislation to protect a woman's right to abortion, which is what the Supreme court is basically arguing anyway, is that it has to go back to your elected representatives, whether it's on the federal or the state level. Um, now that could be an argument, right? But at the same time, do I see it being a moving something that's going to get people to vote for one party over another? For some people it may be. And I think those people were always going to vote one way or the other anyway, I don't think people in the middle are necessarily going to make this the big decision one way or the other. Like there is still the issue of inflation. The Fed is still going to raise interest rates throughout the year. We're likely if he keeps raising it, we're likely headed towards some sort of recession. Um, And, you know, Biden is not getting any better on the world stage. People aren't really excited about Joe Biden. So there's a lot of stuff that like I don't I, right now it's it's hot button right now. You know, it's it's definitely hot button. It's definitely the news that people are wanting to talk about it is a distraction from what's going on in terms of the rest of the midterms and all these other issues. Um, and it does give Democrats a lot of ability to grandstand. But at the end of the day, I think when people see that the gas prices are not going down, like we we've kind of stabled off, stabilized here, at least in San Diego, around the 525, 550 mark, which is still really bad. Like, that's not good. Like, that's not a good price. And I know that the Biden White House is going to say, oh, look what we did. And like gas prices went back down and pat ourselves on the back. 550 or 525 is still ludicrous for gas prices, right? Like that's still unacceptable. 
And people are definitely taking their dollars, putting it in the gas tank. They're not spending it other places. The economy is going to suffer. Interest rates are going to go up, which they have to do, or inflation is going to absolutely destroy us. Um, so there are things in motion that they can't stop regardless of Roe v. Wade being overturned. Will it be a big I mean, it's red meat on both sides. Let's just put it that way. It's definitely red meat on both sides because the left gets all upset about it and the right gets all upset about it. But I think when it comes down to it, I think come November, people are still going to say, has my life gotten better? It is the old Ronald Reagan adage, which is ask yourself, am I better off today than I was four years ago? And I think people are going to look at what's going on in America today um, and say, not really. And I think a lot of people, and I think a lot of people who already swayed over it, like the damage has been done from COVID. And a lot of those people are not going backwards to these issues. I think a lot of those people who flipped over because of COVID are still going to be flipped over. So there is a big, big issue there. Um, but it's, it's something that the Democrats can really grab onto and run with for right now. Um, someone asked, what about Sandag doing the per mile? Could that sway people? It certainly could. Uh, the one person who is up for election this cycle is Nathan Fletcher, who is probably the biggest villain of all in San Diego County. And he could definitely, if he's a for that, that could be a good attack point for him to say he's for the taxing of per mile. When we already pay five fifty a gallon, he wants to tax how many miles you drive. So basically, you don't get a car; you have to use public transportation. That's that would be the attack right there. Is that you have to go over after the fact that he probably supports this? I don't know if he's like vocally said he supports it, but I imagine he does support it because he's a Democrat. What do you know? There's not a tax they don't like. They always find some way to tax you, and that would be the attack point. Is you have to go with that. And you could sway some people. And the thing about Sandag, though, is it's a convoluted argument to make because it's this sort of amorphous government entity that unless you're really into politics, um, you're not going to really know what Sandag is. Um, and, And it's hard to make that connection to a lot of people. But if you can make the argument for like a Nathan Fletcher who is on the Sandag board and say, he supports this idea and we have to get rid of him. That's even easier. But if you're trying to make an argument that we need to vote in different politicians so that they take over Sandag positions, that's kind of a harder argument to make because people don't really understand that. They're like, I, I don't get what, what is Sandag? Who's running Sandag? Even though it has a huge effect on people in San Diego County. So, um, but it's an issue I think that definitely needs to be brought up. And I mean, if you want to make it a blanket statement where someone says, you know, Democrats in San Diego County support taxing you per mile. Don't support Democrats and don't vote for Democrats because they want to tax you per mile. That could be a good blanket attack right there. So, all right. What other questions we got? We got a couple minutes left um, before we sign off for the day. Oh, my goodness. After all that talking, I was uh, now my voice is all scratchy. Um, What else is going on? Um, 
trying to see what else is going on in the news today. Um, oh, this one thing about, uh, you know, it's funny to me that now I want to talk, you know, people who, if you look at all of the people who are protesting what's going on with Roe v. Wade, how is this not comparable to what they say happened on January 6th? Wasn't this whole thing that they, they, you know, there's this decency and rule of law and like, we have to be civilized and all that. And now they, they're talking about like burning down the Supreme court building. Um, it's always right on cue, right? Like it's always right on cue that they, they have all this. Um, and I, I always find it funny that they always happen to have like within less than 24 hours, they have all these professionally made signs and they have like these big like heads of like the Supreme Court justices already professionally printed. I'm always like, where did they get that stuff so fast? Is it because maybe they knew that this was going to happen? Um, it'll be interesting to see if they actually find out who leaked this document because that person should absolutely face some sort of consequences. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of they shouldn't be exalted as a hero in, in terms like what they did was borderline criminal. I'm, it might even be criminal. It might actually be some sort of criminal statute in DC that you can't leak those documents. Um, but they'll be made out to be a martyr and whatever. And the left will bail them out. And Kamala Harris will start a fund to bail out whoever this guy is. Um, and, and the fact that he's a hero and he's, he's doing all these things. Like to me, this is like, I guess you could make the comparison. I guess you could say like this is the left's January 6th where you had someone who broke protocol. You broke years and years of tradition and did something that was criminal. Um, And now you have people who are showing up at the Supreme Court who are showing up into D.C. and basically saying rioting and saying we're going to riot and we're going to burn this place down. Um, how is that not the left's January 6th, you know, the way they're acting right now. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but they'll, they'll make it seem like they're heroes and they'll make it seem like they're these great people and they're, they're doing it to save democracy. Remember, it's always to save democracy, even though we're a representative Republic, it's to save democracy. It's sadly kind of cool how they made this a criminal issue, whereas the decision SCOTUS may make has nothing to do with criminality. It's simply saying they will leave the choice up to the states. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully the person who leaked it is disbarred. Hopefully. Uh, I mean, I don't know what other way. Like, what's what's the appropriate punishment for someone who... What's the appropriate punishment for someone who breaches years and years of protocol and tradition within the Supreme Court because they don't like the decision the way it's coming out to be? I mean, that's one of the things and one of the reasons we there is this trust in the Supreme Court that they're going to do these things. They're going to come out with their decisions. Um, the decisions are final. We read the decisions. We look at it. We pick them apart and we try and figure out why. That's why you don't put these decisions out ahead of time and let people, let the public kind of jump in on them because that's not the point. This isn't a, a jury trial. We're not allowed. We're not allowing the people to step in and talk about this. This is the, this is the Supreme Court. So, um, yeah, they invited the riots, but 
Yeah, it, and and it's funny because they're all about the riots and the raging and stuff like that. And I'm sure if you just showed people footage of this and told people it was January 6th, they believe you. And then you can say, oh, actually, no, it's just the protest for Roe v. Wade. And so, um, do, 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 if you are listening to Noodles right now, please be aware they're setting up for a fight. Uh, using racism, part of this decision, poverty, and now they scream freedom. Racism? Why? What does racism have to do? They're going to scream racism at everything. And maybe you can let me know in the comments. This is, I don't know if, if the whole thing with racism is it's the boy who cried wolf. Sooner or later, you can't just keep crying racism. You just can't. Like Sooner or later, you can't call everything you don't agree with racist. Um, because it's going to turn off a good amount of people. And I, I feel like the majority of people is getting smaller and smaller and smaller of people who take that seriously and people who actually re- respond to that. And other people were just like, I don't, I don't take that seriously. What you're calling me. It's racism because it hurts women in lower incomes. Um, this hurts women in lower income areas and lower income means minority. Yeah. Uh, well, the left is watered down the meaning. Yeah. It's like that girl that Amanda Duarte who tweeted recently and she took it down and then she apologized, um, because she said something about white supremacists and, and if their white daughters were raped by black men, like, would they feel like the same thing? Um, I mean, completely racist. That's a racist tweet right there to assume why would that make such a big deal? Why would you assume that black men are going to be doing the raping? Candace Owens said it perfectly. She said that now we will have more black babies being born. It's the go-to for that because they're losing the argument. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on what state is, is where this is happening. So, you know, I mean, a certain states... If it's that big of an issue to someone, I mean, it's like this. Like, if what's important to you in California? Why do you stay in California? Why do you leave California? Why do you fight to stay in California? Is it because you have family? Is that a priority to you? Is it you just really like the weather? You like where you live? Um, and it's really all about priorities. And if your priority is that you want to have easy access to abortion... I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life that you are your top priority is to have easy access to abortion. You can move to California. You can move to New York if you live in a state like Texas or Florida. Um, but, you know, that's really what it comes down to is you have the decision to get up and move. You can get up and move to another state if you don't like California's taxes or how expensive it is. And that's a priority to you. You can get up and move to Arizona or or Nevada or anything like that or or another state because that's your priority. But I'm not, you know, I don't I don't really understand this argument that like. So I don't know. Um, and and a lot of these states are are already enacting these laws anyway, and it they're already going through. So if you live in a Texas or a Florida, they've already passed a lot of these abortion laws that have already made it restrictive, and if you don't like those laws changing roe v wade or overturning it is not all of a sudden going to reverse those laws or make those laws like those laws are already there so um yeah i you know 
overturning Roe v. Wade is not going to protect you any less. You're already in those states where those laws are passed. Uh, Amazon will not pay. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Amazon really has any interest in doing that. California will. California will pay for your travel expenses if you want to come to California and, and get an abortion. Um, all right. With that said, I'm going to log off for today. There was a lot to discuss. Um, Winnie's all upset about it, as you can hear in the background. Um, she's all riled up about this whole Roe v. Wade. That's all she's been talking about, really, since this came out. She can't. Winnie won't shut up about Roe v. Wade. Um, so, yeah, that's about it for today. Thank you to everybody who always tunes in to Coffee in California Politics. Trying to get a podcast out this week. I don't know what day it's going to be. It might be Friday afternoon. Got to figure out who's it going to be and what it's going to be um, because it's been a busy week getting back into it. Uh, also, big news is that I'm going to share after this is that I have started a Patreon. A Patreon is to help support the platform, help grow the platform. Uh, there's different tiers. There's a $5 tier if you would just want to do general support. Um, $10 support uh, gets you a free California underground mug. Um, and I believe there's a $20, which gets you a hoodie or something like that. Um, but also uh, included in some of those is going to be extra podcast episodes. One I want to do, which is going to be like the uncorked or uncensored California underground, where it's just us chatting over drinks uncensored and all that. And uh, yeah, it all goes to support the program. It all goes supports to support the platform and help it grow. I'll post about it after this if you want to go and support. All your support is appreciated. For all those who added the noodles tea, that always goes to support the the show um, and help support the platform. And uh, yeah, as I always say, all the support goes 100% back into growing this platform, getting it better, and uh, spreading the word. And one thing I can always ask if you don't want to buy a shirt or you don't want to do Patreon the one thing I can always ask is text a friend. Text a friend if you think this show is interesting and you want other people to figure, find it and tune into it. Just text a friend. Say, hey, you should check out this show or chat with a friend and be like, hey, you should check out this California Underground show. So with that said, I'm going to log off for today. I'll see you later this week for the podcast. And uh, yeah, have a good one, everybody. Later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 